0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast Designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler and once again today I am joined by my co-host Curtis. And today we are emptying out the week 10 mailbag as we answer all of your pressing Georgia football questions. And of course, you guys loaded us up with another stack of terrific questions. And once again, we got so many that there is just simply no way that we can cover all of them unless we had, I don't know, about three hours to record today, which we do not have on a holiday week. So that means we won't be able to get to all of them today. But we have the list and we're going to get through as many of them as we possibly can. If we And the ones that we don't get to, we'll try to work them in later on this week if at all possible. And I know a lot of you sent in multiple questions and that is awesome. We appreciate and welcome that. That's what we're here for, right? But in the interest of fairness, we are going to try to spread the love around as much as we possibly can. So if we don't get to all of your questions or maybe we use someone else's question on a related topic please just understand that's why I promise you we are not playing favorites. We love all of you guys and we just want to make sure that as many people get a voice on this show as possible. But anyway, let's not waste any more time. Let's dig right into these questions. And huh, who would have thought we have some quarterback questions to start us off yet again today so we're gonna start we're gonna start with our friend Cliff who asked, Curtis, if it means that JT Daniels comes back, since he's only getting so much exposure this late in the season and is not fully hundred percent, is this a blessing in disguise? It's not ideal to think of Brock Vanegriff starting week one against Clemson next year for sure. Could next year be, in all caps, the year? What do you think, Curtis? Um, I'm actually with Cliff.
1: Like, even if he's not 100%, you wanted to get him out there and just see what he can do because you also don't want to leave a bad taste in his mouth. I think that's a big thing that you don't want to have happen is him kind of be like, why haven't I been given a chance? You know, even me not 100% maybe better than what we have. Um, whatever his reasoning is, I think that it's a, it's in our favor to at least get him out there. And I agree. I, like, I was very nervous. You and I have talked about it. If we didn't get a grad transfer going into – week one against Clemson with whoever we had on the roster at the time or Brock um, is a little scary, I'll be honest. And so with the idea that JT may come back after getting some playing time like this, it definitely is. Uh, it's, makes you feel a lot better going into that game with the idea that, hey, we may have some experience coming back. I'm definitely on that board. And I think we will be really young defensively next year or at least at certain positions. But I will say, I think that offensively, we will be pretty stacked, which makes me excited. I'm thinking of the receivers coming back, who we will have um, along those lines. And if anything's going to be young, I can live with a young defense because honestly, I mean, we've had trouble at times this year. But if anyone's going to be young, I will say I have trust in Kirby and them to get the defense going next year. So I will say that I'm encouraged by what we could see next year.
0: We we're talking about the youth on defense, and, and you're right. We're probably going to have some youth on defense. We actually have a question about that later on today. But like we've spent all season, at least since the Alabama game, talking about how defense doesn't win championships anymore. It's all about the offense. So if we have the offense in place next year with the quarterback and really talented receivers that have begun to grow up, we get some guys coming back like Dominic Blaylock. You get Rosamie Jack Saint coming back. We get some new guys added into the equation. You've got an offensive line that's continuing to grow and gel. A lot of those guys will be back next year. We'll, we'll miss Cleveland and Schaefer. Those guys will be gone, but we have a lot of guys weighing the wings. Really talented players ready to step up in there. We've got talented running backs to go along with that offensive line. Guys who I think their best football is still ahead of them. So the offensive pieces will be there in an era where you win championships with elite offensive play. And yes,
1: even defensively, players. you'll have
0: a lot of talent too. because so you
1: People like... Um, keely ringo ready to go who i think at this time at this point in time if he's healthy still will probably be one of our best dbs on the field if he was to get out there um especially in the star position compared to what we've thrown out there so i think that there is a lot of talent out there that can do it but e- yeah. but like we said too offense can bail you out and i think we will have the potential to have an offense next year that could bail out a young defense especially early in the season
0: yeah i, I i'm with you here and i'm with you as well cliff i think Look, I'm not saying that if JT Daniels did not get a chance to start the end of this season, like, you know, after the Florida game moving on, if he he never got a chance to start this season, I'm not saying that like, yeah, go ahead and book it. He's going to be in the transfer portal because he's already transferred once and used up that immediate eligibility waiver, that hardship waiver. So there's a good chance he might not be allowed to transfer penalty free again after he's already done it once and maybe they would have granted it because i think next year everyone's going to be going to be granted that one time transfer penalty free rule which but he's already kind of transfer <coughs> penalty free so i don't know if he would have transferred i'm not saying he would have but i think there's a chance that he would have transferred if he did not get a chance to show what he could do here in Athens this season with all the quarterback issues that we've had and that's not something i want to go into this offseason even remotely thinking about because if that was the case and we had to rely on a true freshman Brock Vandergrift maybe Dwan Mathis maybe Stetson Bennett again Maybe Carson Beck, even though we haven't really seen anything out of him yet, I don't want to hear the narrative either. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, the narrative that I mean, that, we're always going to hear that Kirby can't handle quarterbacks until we find a quarterback that's the answer and shuts that, that up forever. And I don't, I don't even honestly don't know if it will ever shut up forever because of the whole Justin Fields thing. I don't know if it will ever shut up unless like w- you have JT Daniels goes and wins a Heisman and wins a national championship. Maybe then I don't know. I just don't know if that's ever going to going to go away. At least not anytime soon. But the narrative like. It would be it would, it would be like times infinity if if JT Daniels transfers out because we didn't give him a chance to show what he could do this year and just you don't want to hear that noise that negativity it just that stuff can start to consume a program you just don't want to hear that any more than we're already going to hear it so that certainly uh, is something you don't want to hear about but like I just, I, w- I mean think about Curtis like if we're going to next year with okay we probably will get a grad transfer who is that going to be and then you have Beck Mathis Bennett and then brought Vanagriff. Like I don't feel any better about that situation that did this year. Maybe if Vanagriff is that is that rare freshman and it is becoming more common, but still I would say it's a rare occurrence that a freshman can come in at the quarterback position and be an immediate impact type of guy. Even if JT didn't transfer and came back, his
1: first game in over 2 years would be against Clemson, game 1. Like that's still not a situation you want your guys first start in multiple years to be against.
0: And you don't have, and he wouldn't have the offseason being like the guy. He, he would still be in a quarterback competition. And Kirby will always say it's a competition, but I thought it was very telling. And I, and I love, and, and Kirby has, the messaging has not always been good for Kirby Smart, especially with the quarterback that situation. He's not always handled that well. That PR, I, I think that's been a shortcoming of his. I think he's an incredible coach and a great thing. I do think that's been a shortcoming of his. But one thing I was glad to hear him say when he was asked, at the end of the press conference, the post game press conference on Saturday night, it was like, Is JT is it fair to assume that JT Daniels is your guy moving forward and he's like it's your starter moving forward? And he was like, Yeah, it's safe to assume that. So Yeah, he, yeah, he
1: was very blunt. That's that's one of the first times he even all the times through Fromm and Eason and Fields, he never, it was a week by week thing. No, this was, yeah, he's our guy. More like, yeah, it's safe
0: to assume. And that, that shocked me. Like the way, just how straightforward he was there. Because there he's very secret squirrel, very Nick Saban esque about a lot of this well, stuff. Well, he doesn't want to give you, forward. he wants to make you have
1: to prepare for everything. And if you don't straight up know who everyone is, it's something else you have to prepare for.
0: Absolutely. So I, I was I was encouraged, shocked, surprised, all those things in one. But I think that's a really good sign that JT can continue to move forward this year. Now he's not going to throw for 400 yards every game, but if he can continue to kind of move forward, progress with his knee, and, and play well the rest of the way, I think he's going to be our presumptive star going to next year, and that's going to really help him build uh, confidence in the rest of the team and just and just be that leader, the guy that everyone's going to rally around. Because yeah,
1: you need a quarterback that's the leader of your team, the one that everyone believes in. That gets your team going. And now he has the chance to do that. Like, he's he, I mean, even, even if he's the starter the rest of the year, Kirby's the type of guy, I'll be like, hey, it's a competition. But the team, the
0: fact is the team will know, hey, this is our guy. Yeah. The internal dynamics are just different. The, 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 you're right. The team, the team would know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think this could be a blessing. This guy's getting it, getting him out there. And I mean, I don't think it's in disguise. I mean, it's just a pure blessing that he is now our starter and he's played as well as he did. I know, small sample size, but played as well as he did in that small sample size against again like I said on the on the recap show earlier in the week statistically not a great defense but statistically the best defense that we have played all year I know they were somewhat shorthanded that's still a good defense and to well, play even that then he well mountain
1: did it too after offense has been abysmal the last two games so just to see some positivity doesn't matter who I mean that was the big thing it's just doing something positive I mean yeah, we couldn't absolutely. even do it against someone like Florida
0: sure Absolutely. So, uh, and the, the last part of that question, Cliff. Before we move on here, could next year be the year? Well, I'm a college football fan, so by definition, I always think next year is the year. That's what college football fans do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I've, I, I'm hesitant to say next year can be the year because I've thought each of the past couple years could be the year, and, and something always, always one thing, at least one thing that ends up kind of holding us back. But I, I think if Daniels can continue to improve his health and his mobility and just plays well moving forward the rest of this season and everything goes, has planned throughout the off season. We don't have any major injuries or issues like that. I think next year we can be pretty good. I think, that, I think our offense next year, if we have, if Daniels is the guy next year and plays anywhere close to he played, how he played against Mississippi state, I think the offense next year will be the best offense that we've had under Kirby smart. I think that's saying something defensively. Like we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but I still think we have a lot of talent defensively and I, I think we'll have a chance. We'll have a chance playing Clemson week one. That's that's tough out of the gate. But uh, I think we'll have a shot. I think we'll be better than Florida. And if, if we win the SEC East, and uh, we don't, there's no Alabama on the schedule next year. I think we'll have a chance there to to make to make to make a run. I think there's always that chance. There's always that chance for Kirby Smart. I didn't mean, say what you want about Kirby and how he's handed quarterbacks. That's fair. But except for this year, and even even almost this year, but I guess with the exception of this year, he's really given us a chance the past well, three or four years to be in a conversation for a College Football Playoff spot. I mean, we've been right there, so he's had us there. And I think that's, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I don't. And real quickly, this thought just popped into my mind. And I actually think this is where Cliff was going with the question. This kind of just popped in my mind as I'm sitting here thinking about this. Yeah, another aspect of the whole JT Daniels health situation, the injury situation, not being ready to play, at least not getting his first opportunity until late in the season, not being healthy all year long. A big reason why that could ultimately end up being a blessing in disguise is the fact that if, let's say he had started all year and he plays really well, as well as he played, or close to the level he played against Mississippi State, well then he's likely not going to be back next year. He probably would have gone pro after this year, because he's already had one knee injury. If he puts together another good year at the college level, why would he stick around? Why would he not go pro? I guess you also could say, well, there's Trevor Lawrence, there's there's Justin Fields, but again, if J.D. Daniels had the year that we think he could have had if he was healthy, and were in contention for a college football playoff spot, an SEC title berth, then like he might be up there in the conversation with the Fields and the Lawrences of the World. And so he goes pro, and then yeah, you are left with either Stetson Bennett or Dewan Mathis or Carson Beck or a true freshman in Brock Vandegrift. So we're we're likely gonna be in a much better situation going into next year, which is kind of what I said going back in the preseason guys. Like I think best I thought best case scenario for this team this year, next year, was for Jamie Newman to be good enough to win the job this year and then for Daniels to sit, learn and get healthy and then be ready to be the guy next year and that way you lead to Brock Vandegrift in 2022 or and whoever it might be, Vandegrift, Beck, Mathis, whoever ends up staying with a transfer portal you never really know. But it would be an open competition going into 2022, but those guys have a, another year in their belt, especially Van coming in as a, as a true freshman next year. He would have a year to sit, learn, grow, develop, all those things, and be ready to roll as a shirt freshman. I thought that was best case scenario. And obviously, it, things did not work out with Jamie Newman. We know that. Don't even want to go there right now because it just makes me angry to think about But the rest of that scenario is still very much in play with the idea that JT Daniels could still be around next year and could be that bridge to Vandengrift or whoever it is in 2022. So in that regard, it absolutely could be very much a blessing in disguise. Although I will say, I would love to have had him healthy all year and be in contention for the SEC title still right now even though I guess technically we're not mathematically limited but we essentially are I probably would have rather had JT Daniels at least the version of JT that we saw against Mississippi State I would love to have had him all year because I think we probably would be in the SEC title game maybe even have won it and be in the college playoff player for the shot to win a national title I really believe that so that kind of sucks but if if he does come back next year then I still think we're in really good shape moving forward all right, moving on here. Uh, I've got another question about the quarterbacks. This is from Eric. Appreciate the question, Eric. Why are Georgia fans mad that they can't be mad at Kirby Smart anymore because JT Daniels wasn't healthy, so they are ignoring the facts to say Kirby is lying? All right, Kurt. Um, so have you gotten that sense, or do you feel like some Georgia fans are, are kind of upset now they can't be mad at Kirby anymore, or are they just mad at Kirby because he should, JT should have been playing all along?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's at this point it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation with the fan base. Like they were gonna be mad if he came out there and didn't play well. Like, oh my god, this like now Kirby, he just can't recruit quarterbacks. Like we're terrible. But if he plays well, like you're seeing, well, why hadn't he been playing? It was just, and the biggest thing is people have to realize. Like I thought a real big telltale sign was that uh, interview with Dog Nation on Sunday by JT's father who was very very um complimentative of Kirby in the athletic staff who even himself admitted hey I went to the uh the scrimmage and JT was not himself he couldn't push through the ball his accuracy wasn't there the things that make him the five-star and the athlete he is he didn't have and his dad even admitted that but yet the fan base who doesn't even know the kid can't admit it
0: yes uh, and Kirby I get, he was very I, one thing uh, Kirby Smart his press conference he has the two different kind of press conferences his press conferences during the week like he's always re- relatively open with a lot of things but there's certain things like he'll be kind of uh I don't want to say standoffish but kind of gruff at times and won't answer questions uh, about the quarterback maybe to people's satisfaction but if you get him in a post game press conference after the emotions of the game where he's more he will emotional he'll flip up and say stuff Yes. He will. He's much, it's, it's a different Kirby smart. He doesn't have that standoffish kind of add to that gruff demeanor, which I think is an act by the way. I think he's trying to emulate Nick Saban in that regard. I, I think he's kind of basically setting the tone for the team. Like, Hey, we're serious. But after the game, I think you see more of the real Kirby smart, the guy that's uh, more relatable, affable. Um, he's more open. And you don't see that, that kind of gruffness about him and he'll, he'll answer some questions and he, I thought it was I thought he answered some things more directly about the quarterback situation. It was more open about JT's recovery and situation than he had been previously at any time previously we I mean, was talking about like we had him out there and, and he was basically saying a lot of things that you and I've been saying not just you and I Kurt, but a lot of people have been saying for a while and, and kind of been um, speculating on but he's basically saying, like we got him out there in the scrimmages and the guy couldn't move the guy just simply hit a big huge brace on and simply could not move when there's any pressure and so we, we couldn't we, we couldn't get the guy ready to play like we, we that cannot be the guy that you're preparing to play week one if the guy cannot move in a scrimmage setting which is the closest thing you get to a game setting so I, I think – and then, you, like you said, with the Dog Nation article with JT's dad, that kind of backs up what Kirby was saying. So, yeah, and here – I was thinking about this uh, earlier today, actually. And this whole, like – and, again, I, I do think that Kirby's kind of messed up the messaging a little bit. I think he should have been maybe a little bit more straightforward early on. But, like, I'm just going to speak from personal experience. Like, the idea – because what, what people are, like, caught up on is the idea that after the Arkansas game, going to the Auburn game, or was it the day after the Arkansas game, Kirby comes out and says, JT Daniels is – quote, cleared, and everyone's assuming, and including you and I, could like, oh, is J.T. Daniels going to be the guy? Because you hear cleared, and you're like, well, that means you can play. But there is a big difference with being cleared and ready to play. And this has been, I know this has been touched on all along, all throughout the year, but I, I kind of, I'm just going to put this in like personal terms kind of I've gone through. So like, you guys, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times here on the show that, that I like to run. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a runner, I guess. I'm not like a, a competitive runner. I, I, run, I run marathons, I train, I do all that. I'm not like great at it, but it's something that's important to me. I work hard at it. And, uh, I've been doing this for a decade plus now, and I have dealt with my fair share of injuries, not an ACL, thank God, knock on wood, but I have dealt with injuries and it's extraordinarily frustrating. And so I kind of thought back to this like, so there've been times like through my rehab where, where eventually you get clear to go out and start running again. But when I get clear to go start running after an injury, whether it's my foot injury, knee injury, I've had all sorts of different kinds of injuries. I basically like you start like a mile. And you're, you're you can't run as far as you normally would you can't run as fast as you normally would you're not the same and you have to steadily build yourself up like a couple of years ago the last major injury I had was uh, in the early spring of 2019 I ran the Atlanta Marathon and about halfway through my knee was just done um, it was it was anything crazy nothing long term it's kind of a chronic thing I've dealt with is my IT band that messes with my knee and at about mile 16 or 17, it started to really, really bother me, but I wasn't gonna quit, I wasn't gonna give up. I limped to the finish line, I got there, uh, but that was probably dumb. I should've totally stopped, because that just made it way worse. So that was, I think, the first week of March, and then I was out of commission, really not even able to consider start running, running again. I wasn't cleared to run until late may and i was clear to run but again once i got back running and i i was clear to start running to begin that process i will start out with a mile and you do that for a week and then you go to a mile and a half and you do that for a week and you go to two miles and you do that for a week and that's running about three to four minutes slower than my normal mile pace so eventually you get back to where you can run seven or eight miles at a time but still three or four minutes slower than your typical mile pace, and then you start working in the speed after that. So for an injury that started in early March, I wasn't cleared to run until late May, but that's when I was cleared, right? Just like JT Daniels was cleared to play, I was cleared to run in late May, but I wasn't back to 100% really until about August. Once I was cleared, it took me about two months to get back to where I felt like I was close to my normal self. So it just takes time. Like I was cleared to run all along, but I wasn't myself. I wasn't ready. And I think that JT was—it was kind it, of experiencing a similar situation. It's what people do when you come off injuries. You might be cleared. That means you can start those activities and you can play, but you're not going to necessarily be able to play as well as you normally did. Like I, I couldn't run as fast or as far as I normally did. And I had to keep steady week by week, work myself back up. I was 50%, then 75%, then 80, then 90. All eventually, I got back to 100% where I was my normal self. And I don't even know if JT's back to 100% yet. But he's close enough now to where he can go out there and make an impact for us. So, uh, I love the question here, Eric. A little tongue in cheek, of course. But uh, why are fans mad that they can't be mad at Kirby anymore? Well, it's kind of just human nature. If you think about it, guys, like people, like there's we're all we're all different. We're all humans, and there's there's things that are different about us, but we all share certain things in common. And look, like generally speaking, people like to complain. You guys know that people like to tear down more than we build up. I think it's a way to kind of deal with frustration over things that are out of our control. And people tend to oftentimes, I'll probably include myself in this. I mean, I think most people at at some point in your life think you know more than other people. And so you put all that together and it's just human nature to be mad about the coaching staff and their decisions, no matter what they do. Like you said, Kurt, damn it if you do, damn it if you don't. And that's just kind of part of the job. So I guess that's why you get paid Six seven million dollars a year, all right. Moving on here, uh, us get away from the quarterbacks for a couple minutes. Here we got a question from Nathan. Uh, along with this, can we get a breakdown of what you saw from the cover eight, which is essentially what we were running against Mississippi State? It seems the linebackers were dropping really far back in coverage curse. We touched on this a little bit in the recap show. Um, are you do you agree with Nathan there?
1: Yeah, I do agree. You know, I, I mentioned that like I understood the running of the zone against a team like Mississippi State, but I personally meant, uh, Did not like how deep our linebackers were dropping. I thought they were dropping a little bit too extreme, um, to the point that we couldn't even get to their guys until they were five or six yards already up, and it was just hard to make something happen when you're doing that. And I, so that's why I mentioned that I was just not a fan of how deep our linebackers were dropping because it's just no. Yeah, we have athletic linebackers, but you can only be so fast, and if you notice. It felt like in the in, towards the end of the third quarter, and then going into the fourth, when we start getting defensive stops, that we were playing a tighter, tighter zone in
0: general. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, we touched on this a little bit in the recap show, but it doesn't hurt to talk about it again. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, Curtis. We were I this I think the rush three drop eight strategy, that scheme was the correct scheme because that's what everyone else has used to great effect against Mississippi State all year long. They just they played better. They executed better offensively. The quarterback's improved. He's a freshman. He's gotten better. They didn't turn the ball over like they had. They didn't drop balls like they had been doing. They, hadn't, they didn't have stupid penalties like they had been doing for the most part. But um, I think that was the right strategy. But I do think that the zone was a little too soft. I would have liked to have seen a, a little bit more maybe pattern matching type stuff, which is basically against where you it, – it's the best of both worlds. It's kind of like matchup zone in basketball, If you, if you're more familiar with that, where you're playing zone defense. You have an area you're covering, but anyone who comes into your area – you match up on them like you're playing man coverage. It's kind of the best of both worlds. And Kirby has a background doing that with, with Nick Saban at Alabama. Really, that was kind of what their early defenses at Alabama were based off of. They've kind of gotten away from that over the years. But I, I was surprised we didn't see maybe a little bit more of that. I don't think going to man coverage would have been any more successful because we saw what happened when we went to man coverage. We got, what, a 51-yard touchdown. Mark Webb got burned there. And, that again, that's what Mississippi State wanted you to be in. They, that's, they want to bait you and bait you and get you into that coverage that they want that they can hit those vertical shots on the field, get those big explosive plays, and we did not want to allow them to do that. So we were willing to give them that. I just think we gave them maybe a little too much. I do think that we were a little too soft in the zone. Um, But again, that's part of the difficulty in facing a Mississippi State offense, or at least a Mike Leach coached offense with that air raid, because they force you to play a scheme that you are not comfortable with. That's not what we do on a game-in, game-out basis. Well, I also
1: think that our coaches were a little bit too – Trying to be protective after getting burned so bad on the wheel route against uh, Florida,
0: I think that's very fair. I think that's a big reason why that we didn't want to use as much man because how did Florida get so open on those wheel routes? Well, they were using rub routes, right? And that and Mike Leach's offense, like Mike Leach, guys is one of the forerunners, one of the godfathers of the modern pick play with, with, with mesh, which is their basically their defining play in that scheme. So of course we we saw what happened with Florida. We're like, well, we're not going to put our guys in position to have that happen again. And uh, I think that really played a factor into it. No doubt, Kerb. Absolutely. All right, moving on here, Curtis, uh, Jamil has a good question. How would you grade each position coach through these seven games plus Kirby? So Curtis, this is interesting. We, we did like our, our uh, mid report card where we, we grade the players, but this is a coaching perspective here. How would you grade each position coach through these seven games? So let's, uh, let's just start with the head. Let's start with Kirby. Um, I may go
1: with a C+. Okay. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with – you know, I think we, Kirby's done a good job. I think – I mean, I, I think he has done a good job. I think I'm kind of putting a little bit of the blame on the defense also on him because while I do believe it's Dan Lanning's defense, you know Kirby can still have his input because they run his system.
0: Yeah, there, there's no doubt there. I'm going to go with, with Kirby. I'm going to go with B+. Obviously this has not been our banner years or so far our worst year in, in a couple of years since what, well, 2006, since his first year. But, and I know people want to blame him for the quarterback situation. I, I really believe he was more so the, the victim of circumstance than the first part of the season. Now, after the Alabama game, I, I put that on Kirby Smart, not going with JT, especially the four game. Like JT Daniels, I, I just, I don't understand. Like it's it's tough for me to accept any sort of argument that JT Daniels should not have at least have at least, been the second the first guy off the bench. If he wasn't gonna start the game, why was Dwight Mathis coming in and of JT Daniels? If, if Daniels is ready, like three days later he said he's ready to be your starter uh in preparation for Missouri. So I, I, that I do have an issue with Is that I mean potentially could have cost us the Florida game. Now there were other issues in that game certainly had injuries and defensively we just you know, we got we got burned in that game. There's no doubt there. But I, I think overall he's done a good solid job. I mean we're five and two guys. I mean it's not where we want to be but I, I don't think he's like Especially when you take in all the the injuries and things
1: we've had at times. I mean, Alabama game, yes, that one sucked overall. But uh, the Florida game, while we did play like crap and offensively, we were defensively at a disadvantage.
0: Yeah, agreed, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, I'm gonna go B there. All right, what about let's go um, let's go Charlton Warren in the secondary, Kurt. Um, I'd probably go with a B minus. Okay, B minus. Yeah, I
1: think. I, I, I wouldn't mean, argue
0: with that too much.
1: I think the, a lot of it too dealt, has dealt with you know just some of the the bad play. I mean, by Tyreek Stevenson and people like that, but also I mean, I, th- I think a B minus B is solid for him.
0: Yeah, I, I have I haven't I'm just going to go straight with a B here. I think look, I know there's two high profile games where our secondary got torched: Alabama and Florida, two of the best offenses we faced, but. At some point, like it's not necessarily on the coach. When you have the guys largely, at least in the Alabama game, guys were in position to make plays. It was very rare that guys were just running wide open where we had busts in that game. It really wasn't so much about bust. Guys just got beat in that in that game. And sometimes that happens when you have a, a really good quarterback, elite wide receivers, greatness coordinator, great scheme. It's just tough. Now in the Florida game, we had some guys that had their eyes in the backfield and had really poor eye discipline, weren't, you know, work covering anyone at times mark webb for example on one of the touchdowns not being able to get out of the, off the pick plays off the rub routes or so some of that was the linebackers as well actually more of that was linebackers than anything so there were some issues there i think some of that that was more so coaching than i think the alabama game was but all in all i think we've been we've been pretty good in the second there. we've been fine we've been we've been good enough um so i'm gonna give it a b not great not terrible pretty solid uh what about outside linebackers dan lanning uh, I'm going
1: with B for landing. I've been, uh, I think, a lot of that has to do with the defensive coordinator also, but just at times being too stubborn with the defense. Um, you know, you and I have questioned our defensive scheme, especially going back to Alabama, the way we just stuck with it, and even the Mis- a Mississippi State game. Like, I didn't like the deep zone that we were playing, and I think a lot of that goes on him because, especially, I mean, Kirby has given him a lot of freedom. It feels like. Kirby has input, but if you watch it, Kirby's not as active on the sidelines defensively as he was, say, under Mel Tucker and people like that. So that's why I'm going to put a lot, some of the, a lot more of this on Dan Laning overall.
0: That's fair. I think, again, a B. I think our defense has been, we were really good early in the year. Our two biggest games against the two best offenses that we faced, we um, we weren't good enough. And some of that was just their players were better than ours at, at times, So some of it was, was certainly scheme. And we'll talk more about I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail on that because we have more questions about that later on, so we'll get into that then. Uh, solid B. What about uh, inside linebackers, Glenn Schumann? I'm going to go with a B. I think he's played done well with what
1: we've had. I mean, Monty has not been healthy. Um, he, I think he's done uh, – I mean, outside of Quay Walker, who sometimes lacks um, instincts, I think our, our inside linebackers have played pretty well.
0: I think inside linebackers have played really well, so I'm actually going to go with an A. I think they played really well. I think well.
1: that's fair because um, one thing I, you know, we heard earlier in the season was that our guy, that Schumann can't develop guys, and I have to say after this, after seeing what I've seen, especially with Nakobe and Monty, the steps Monty has taken to become who he is, I mean, I think Schumann has done a great job.
0: Yeah, I think Schumann's been a, a great inside linebacker coach. Yeah, I know the Florida game was – was an issue at times defending defending the running backs out of the backfield with the, with the rub routes. But guys, it's tough. That's why I always say like that's why I've been saying all year now at least since the Alabama game that defenses win championships anymore because those play well some of those plays were not legal. But a rub route is legal and it, it, it's very very tough to defend. It's very like the rules are just set up to allow offenses to run wild. It's not set up for defenses to win championships anymore. You need you need enough defense, but you also have to be good on offense with the way the rules are uh, are set up now. And I I just I don't know how much you can put that on him. Some, sure, there's some guys poor eye discipline, absolutely, here and there. But I think, all in all, if you look at the, the season in totality, I think our inside linebackers have played really well. What about defensive line, Trey Scott? I'm going to give him a B plus. I mean,
1: before the injuries, our defensive line was absolutely dominant. I mean, he almost had an A-minus, really.
0: I, I'm, I'm going with an A for the defensive line. I yeah, think defensive I think that's fair. I, right I'm probably going to switch to an A-minus, because
1: even with all these injuries, you lose two of your starting D tackles. I thought they've held up pretty well.
0: I thought I th- I really think they play lights out and if Jordan Davis I mean God I'd love for him to come back but I don't think that's realistic right now but if he can get drafted pretty high that's gonna I mean I think Trey Scott's been recruiting a lot better than he was early in his tenure here which he got a lot of heat for yeah but I think I that.
1: like Kyrie and Ingram Donk, Dawkins is gonna be a monster when he gets here similar to the Jordan Davis path.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 247 updated rankings is just their rankings, not the composite, but their updated rankings. He's in, I think he's inside the top 25 now. I think he's number 20 overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's definitely moved up. But if you, like, Trey Scott needed to have guys that got drafted high to show, to show guys, hey, look, back can develop you. And if, if Jordan Davis is that guy, that's going to be even better for him. He's already recruiting better as it is. So I'm going to go with an A there. Wide receivers, Cortez Hankton. Um, I'm going to give him a B minus. The thing is that
1: he looks like a heck of a lot better coach, recruiter, whatever you want to call him when all of a sudden we have a great quarter or I mean a, a, a competent quarterback to get them the ball.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think our, our, well, he was working with a lot of really younger, especially Jermaine Burton started. Yeah, I mean, Bert, You
1: see the way Burton has developed just this quickly. Um, and like I've mentioned, a lot of it had to do with playing time without competent quarterbacks. And yet he's developed into what he has now. Um, the guy's a game changer. Um, yeah. And I, so I think he's done a lot of it too, with injuries and what just the hands we've been dealt with George uh, being injured and, the Quarterback play and all this, so I think he's done pretty well. I mean, they haven't blocked as well as they have in the past, I think that's the one area that they haven't done as well overall. Um, but I still think he's done a good job.
0: Cool, I, I'm with you. I'm gonna go B plus them and Kurt, we're gonna go rapid fire through the last three here so we can get to more questions. Um, Del McGee, running backs, B minus, yeah, I'm gonna go. I think it's fair. I got B, B, B minus. I mean, running backs have been good, solid, but certainly. There's, there's been a, a pretty noticeable drop-off from where we've been running back the past couple of years. I think that's fair to say. Um, Matt, Luke, up uh, C-plus. I mean, actually, I'll go
1: C-plus. Yeah, I would have said uh, B-minus B if we just hadn't had this last bad game.
0: Yeah, this last game was terrible. I mean, that, that does certainly sour things right a now. Because but- he had done a
1: good job of bringing some balance and cohesion to the line after the way it started. But the way we struggled last game was just a little – Ridiculous. So yeah, we're
0: kind of booking it right now. The first game and this last game against Mississippi State were two terrible games. Everything in the middle has been really good. Actually, they were becoming a strength. um But it was a good a lot of new guys in, in different spots. I know we got Ben Cleveland. and yeah, some of the guys that they struggled
1: aren't the new ones like Schaefer and them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not going with a B. I think he's done a solid job first year in the job with a bunch of new guys. And finally, Todd Munkin, quarterback coach. Last time was a coordinator, um, I actually give him a B plus because I mean,
1: yeah, we haven't always executed, but I. I have been open that I think he has called some beautiful games. While he may runs, should run some more. In general, he's done a great job of getting guys open.
0: Yeah, I'm actually going so I'm I'm to go with an A. I'm yeah, I'm
1: going
0: to go with an A. I think uh, he's done an incredible job scheming this this offense with quarterback limitations. And you, you know, maybe you can you can knock him for the quarterbacks and whatnot. But like again, I think just like Kirby, in a lot of ways, victim of circumstance here. I, I so I, I think you know, if you look at what we have. From an offensive scheme standpoint, compared to where we were last year, I mean, it's night and day. And I, I think he's the answer offensive coordinator. We should have to find that answer at quarterback, and hopefully JT's that guy. And we'll see how, how things transpire moving forward. All right, moving on here, got a question from uh, Z Daniel. See what he did there? Uh, he says, we do not look good without LeCount and Davis. Should we be ready for a huge letdown on defense next year? The defensive backs are nothing to write home about, but losing Stokes, Campbell, Webb, Daniel, as well as LeCount cannot be good for us. They haven't looked great, so I can't imagine the replacements are anything to look forward to since we haven't seen Ringo or Kimber at all. Kurt, are you uh, sharing those concerns? Um, I mean, of course you're going to be a little concerned because one thing that's helped us this year
1: has been our uh, experience on the in the backfield and things like that. But the thing is, like Jordan Davis was good his freshman year, but he's really started taking off these last two years. So give someone J- like Jalen Carter a chance to get some more experience going. I mean, the guy has held his own while not having the as much I mean he hasn't been in the system as long gotten the take advantage of the weight room all those things so uh, I think Jalen Carter can hold up I think Warren Brinson's gonna be really good next year so I mean I understand it but I still think we have a lot of guys that can take steps and do things next year that'll make them make our defense still really good and then I mean they're young guys. Keely Ringo's out for the entire year, so there's nothing you can do about that. But I still think he's more skilled than almost – he's probably the most athletic guy on our, in our defensive backfield as a freshman right now, pure athletic-wise. Um, and as good as our you know experience as our cornerbacks and stuff have been, they've been beat too. So it's not like that experience doesn't get you beat. So, I mean, the guys we're going to replace them with are good in their own right.
0: Experience is great, but I've I've always said, give me t- if I had to choose between talent, experience, give me talent all day long. If yeah, I had to,
1: I mean, Richard too. Richard did not become who he was he didn't really start taking these steps till last year. His first, his uh, even a sophomore year when he started playing, he was not the guy he is now. So, I think that you just got to give these guys a chance to get in there and earn more PT. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Look, of depth, or even I mean, back. Scene. I
1: mean, you'll have seen back next year. My guess is you'll have someone like Major Burns mean your starter, and I thought he came in and. Held his own for the most part against Florida in a situation where he probably wasn't ready to play. And at cornerback, you you know it'll be a learning curve. But if I have trust in anyone to get our guys ready, it is Kirby.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, even the back death, I'd be lying if I said it's not going to be a concern. It will be a concern. I think. But uh, really- we
1: also got to remember we have. I, um, I think the big pickup recruiting wise is John Warren.
0: John Warren is going to be uh, an instant impact player for us. I think he's better than DJ. Yeah, J- that's I mean, what we need. Someone, like like
1: Someone like that who can match up with the young guy, and he can be your dominant guy while the young guy develops, is a huge thing that we just haven't talked about.
0: Yeah, I think John Warren is going to be an impact type guy, like a immediate impact type guy. I think he, based on what I saw from him and DJ Daniel at the at, at Juco level, I think Warren is further along than what Daniel was. I think he's more explosive. Warren, I, think he's a better, I think he's better
1: athlete too, bigger, stronger.
0: Yeah, no doubt. But demons of back death is is going to be a concern. I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't. But I do like the talent we have there. You mentioned Keely Ringo. I know we didn't see him at all this year, but the guy can play. Jalen Kimber. It has a lot of potential. We didn't see him. We haven't seen him at all this year. Uh, at really a, a cornerback, but he's a guy that has great speed. Has the has the the upside that you would be, that you look for at that position. You Mentioned DeJon Warren. There's some options there. Tyree Stevenson might factor in a cornerback. We'll see. I don't know. I like him better kind of at the star position. He's a little thicker, can defend against the run. But I think a big important thing is to see what happens with Tyson Campbell. I know the odds are he probably goes pro, but I don't know. He's in, in two high-profile games. He hasn't played well, so there's a chance he comes back. Now, I, if he goes and he goes to the NFL Combine, he's in a test off the charts. So he'll probably go, but I don't know if that's a done deal yet. Maybe. Who knows? We'll see. So that that would be a huge benefit for this team. I know he hasn't played well consistently this year, but he's still growing, still learning. I think he has an extraordinarily high upside. Uh, and the, the front seven is going to be very good, guys. There might be some questions in the back, back end, but the front seven is going to be very good. I know there's a void with no Jordan Davis. We don't have anyone that's going to be Jordan Davis, and he has been a key part to our defense, our rush defense in particular. When our defense is built around stopping the run first, he's been a key part of that. But – I like what I've seen from, from some of these young guys, whether it's Brinson Logas has really impressed me. We're going to miss a guy like Devontae White. We're going to miss Devontae White. We have a lot of good young players. You mentioned Jalen Carter. I mean, Jalen Carter is going to be a beast for us, okay? And Tyrion Ingram Dawkins coming in next year. I, I He's got to continue to improve his body. He's still growing. Uh, I don't know if I would count him to be an impact player in year one, but I think we have a lot of good players on the defensive line that are young and ready to play. Bill Norton's another guy. So there's some, there's and Shavon Walker, there's guys there inside linebacker. I know we're going to lose Monty, but you got Nicobe Dean, Clay Walker, Chain coming back, Ryan Davis coming off the, the, the injury, Trezvant Marshall just had a shoulder surgery, but he'll be coming back. So there are, are some players in that front set. I think will be really, really good. Not to mention guys like Nolan Smith and Aziz probably goes pro, but we'll see. Hopefully Adam Anderson's back. I think your main jump to our is next question, Curtis. Back. Yeah, yeah, Jermaine might come back. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But that takes us to our next question, Curtis. This is from Brett. Why doesn't Adam Anderson get more playing time? He seems to make an impact every time he's in the game, which is more than you can say for Nolan Smith, shots fired, who gets far more playing time than Anderson. Curtis, is that something that's frustrated you throughout this season? Uh, maybe it's situational, but
1: it just plain and simple comes down to the fact that he's not thick enough. He's not a three-down linebacker right now, meth. And when you're playing certain teams, it's hard to get him in there when they're not three-down guys. I mean, you saw DeAndre Walker. We knew he was better than Davin Bellamy for the most part, but he couldn't keep the weight on, so you couldn't put him out there in every situation because he's not going to be able to hold the edge. You saw with Leonard Floyd; that was his biggest weakness. He couldn't hold the edge. He was getting killed against Florida. That when you're when they rushed over 300 yards against us, and that's what would happen if you put Adam Anderson out there consistently to try to stop the run. Now, Nolan does a good job of stopping the run and setting the edge right now, and we haven't really unleashed him as much in the pass rush, but he does what he's supposed to do in holding the edge, which is sometimes the thankless job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the snap breakdown here, so Adam Anderson has 89 snaps on the year. Only had three against Alabama, which I do think is ridiculous. Now, yeah, Alabama. there are
1: times I wish we used him more like against Alabama and things, but overall it's hard to get him like 70% of the snaps because he just can't do it all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in Alabama, like – it was frustrating for him to not be in the game more, but it's also part, partly what they were doing. Actually, a big part of what they were doing, they were running a lot of 12 personnel in that game with one running back, two tight ends. So we had to respond with our heavy personnel. That's one of the things that they really used to to hurt us in that game is that we didn't have all of our athletes on the field consistently. And they knew that that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to have those guys on the field in our nickel package, our dime package and they wanted to keep us from doing that. So basically, they just didn't allow us to get Anderson on the field because when they were running the balls, at, you're right, Curse. Adam Anderson at 225 pounds simply cannot consistently hold up against the run. He's a third down pass rush specialist. He's very, very good at that. But if we can't get teams to those situations, then we can't use him. And, and Nolan has played more, 134 snaps on the year. But Nolan's snaps have gone down the past three weeks. He had First game, 22 snaps, then 34, 14 against Tennessee, 26 against Alabama, seventy against Kentucky, 9 against Florida, 12 against Mississippi State. Aziz has 280 snaps in the year, and now that Jermaine Johnson's back, he's got 132. Those are our two primary guys in that spot when no one come in kind of dispel them at times. But Adam Anderson is a pass rush specialist. He's a specialist player right now. And you're exactly right, Kurtz. It's the weight. And you mentioned DeAndre Walker. That's the perfect comparison here. DeAndre Walker, guys, came into Athens. His first year here was 212 pounds. In 2015, he was 212 pounds when he got on campus. I was watching a, a um, 707 camp, and I saw him as a true freshman come in the stadium. I was like, Jesus Christ, Like I'm thicker than this guy. He left at 245 pounds. Adam Anderson right now, he came in at 214 pounds. He's 225 right now, guys. He's got to add more weight, and maybe he can't with that frame. I don't know. Some guys just have trouble doing that. Walker had trouble. He was finally able to do it, but maybe Anderson's not going to be able to do that. But if he does add more weight to where he can hold up against the run more consistently and set the edge, he can be more of a three-down player. And I know he gets frustrated because he wants to be on the field, and I want to be on the field too because he does make an impact when he's on the field. But you've also got to be able to stop the run. And and sometimes I do think we put too much of an emphasis on stopping the run. But the fact is, if you have a guy that's 225 pounds that they're trying to set the edge – with, with a guy that's you know a 300-pound offensive lineman, you're not going to win those battles consistently, guys. You're just not. And the other guys are just bigger than him. I feel like people you, would be more mad, too, if we kept him out there and he keeps getting killed trying to stop the run. It just goes back to what you said. damn if you do, him if you don't, right? Like I, yeah. I mean, these coaches are paid to make these decisions. And I, I, it's frustrating that Anderson can't add more weight. I want him to because I want him to be on the field more. I do think he's the best pass rusher on the team by, by a pretty wide margin. I know Aziz is good, too. Anderson's just a more explosive pass rusher. But he's just—he's not the total package right now. He's got to be able to add weight. Until he does, he just, he's not going to see the field as much as he wants to, as much as all of us want to. All right, Kirk, we've got about five minutes left. We're going to try to go rapid fire through some of these questions here. Um, Sam asked, do you think we would have won the Alabama and Florida games if JT Daniels started those games? Kurt, what do you think? Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think Alabama,
1: we probably have a better chance of winning because we're at full strength on defense. Florida, it's hard to tell just because, I mean, as you saw it didn't matter what our offense was doing, our defense was just that bad,
0: also. But well, I mean, Florida's done that to, to every team. I mean, like, like, and the way and beat them is they just outscored Florida, so we had to find a way to outscore them. And with JT Daniels, if I mean, I, I think we would have had a shot, I think we would have had a shot. You, you can't guarantee those things. I think there's a real shock, like I said in the recap, so let's not forget, guys, we were one Mark Webb drop pick six away from being down by a touchdown in the fourth quarter in that game. If JT Daniels is in there. I think we have a shot in that game. I'm not saying it's a done deal, but it would have been a shootout because they would have still scored on us. But I think we would, he would have certainly given us much more of a chance than Stetson or Juan Mathis did. Oh, and yeah, I'm not going to argue with that.
1: It. I definitely believe that. I just don't know if we would have had the guys to make the stops.
0: Sure, that and that, that's a fair way to look at it. Alabama, I think we win that game. Because we all know, guys, we were, we were winning that game for two and a half quarters. And then our quarterback started to falter down the stretch and was missing wide open guys not seeing guys that were open, getting balls batted down. And he just – I don't want to say he lost the game. He was a major factor in us losing that game.
1: The game you know, flipped because the defense was going to give up plays against Alabama that were that good, and we just didn't yeah,
0: answer. of course. Now, the caveat about the Alabama game is I don't know if JT Daniels would have was the same if – if he would have played that game, was he the same version of himself from a health standpoint that he was against Mississippi State? I think there's a good chance Absolutely. the answer is probably no. Now, if it was the JT, the version of JT we saw against Mississippi State, then yes, we would have been Alabama. But there's no way to know if he was that version of himself. If was he that long, that far along in his recovery? So that one, it's tough for me to say. I will say, yeah, if he was the JT we saw against Mississippi State, we win that game. But there's a chance he wasn't far enough along his recovery to be that guy. So I want to give Kirby and the, and the coaching staff a little bit of the doubt on that one. But yeah, if he if he was healthy in those, both those games, I think we were undefeated right now. I do. And that gives me hope for next year, which is kind of where we are right now. All right, uh, Josh, our great friend Josh, asks, "What is Trey Hill's issue? He doesn't seem to be progressing the way we expected in his play. Sometimes resembles an underclassman. He doesn't look stronger or more confident. He reminds me of Mark Richtera era lineman. Kurt, what is going on with Trey Hill? Um, I don't know. At times, it just feels like he's flat out lazy. Like
1: if you're watching the game, he, yeah, he didn't have any snaps over the guy's head. Thankfully." but he still just can't get his snaps down and throws off the timing. If you watch it, there's a lot of offensive running plays where the timing is just thrown off by his snap that just he can't figure out how to make it work. Um, And it's frustrating overall. And then sometimes when he tries to make his snap work, he focuses so much on the snap that he gets blown off the ball by the defensive lineman. So he's just one of these that it's either one thing or the other, but he is just – absolutely struggling and i have questioned it since the beginning that i've never truly thought he was a center and i definitely will say i am excited and hopeful to see what someone like cedric van pran can do in the future because i think that's your future center
0: it's very interesting with ben cleveland moving on next year shaffer moving on maybe you see trey hill slide to one of the guard positions or get past the ball together i think cedric van Pran's gonna be a really good player for us everything i've heard everything i've seen from him i'm really excited about what he can do moving forward uh, Trey Hill, like yeah, he mentioned the staffing issue, so I, I'm with you on that. That's that's unacceptable. It's just been far too consistent, especially and just from he's a blocking no longer standpoint. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and from a blocking standpoint, like he he's good at times, but there's times where he just falls off defenders. Kind of reminds me of Cade Cade Maze at times where you, he just like kind of falls falls off defenders, doesn't stick on his blocks, and that's hard to explain. It, it's hard to explain, um, but he hasn't made this taking the steps that I, that we need him to take. But hopefully he follows kind of the Lamont Gilliard trajectory where he has a really big senior year. I, I hope that's the case. I'm rooting for the guy. If I think he, he comes has a back,
1: position. he's someone that I wouldn't be shocked to see go pro.
0: I don't – I mean, maybe. Do you think anyone would draft him? I don't know.
1: I don't know, but, I mean, there's a lot of kids you say that about when they decide true. to go pro, and yet they still do it.
0: True, true. All right, Kirk. got about a minute and a half here. Last question is from Wesley. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Todd Munkin stays at Georgia after this season? I'm gonna
1: say an eight, unless he gets a head job. I don't see him going, especially the way his contract is set up. It's hard for him to leave after this first year.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think, I think, I would say a scale. I'm gonna say a nine. I just don't believe in sure things. Like you never say never. Right? I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I'm confident he'll be back next year. I think he's done a good job here. I think he had, like you look at the raw materials just as we laid out earlier. you were talking about this. Look at what he has come back next year. Potentially, you got your starting quarterback and JT Daniels. Now you feel comfortable about that. You can build some momentum with him this the rest of this year. You have a couple really good wide receivers. Having really seen Arian Smith yet? Dominic Blaylock should be back next year. You have a lot of returning players in the offensive line. You have more guys coming in this year. Uh, you got Z- Zeus maybe coming back. Maybe James Cook, but at the very least, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh. Like you have some weapons coming back. Do you want to start all over? Georgia's a great place. You're, can, you're going to consistently be able to recruit the top players in the country. And you're going to be competing for national championships each and every. year. You're going to be at least be in the conversation, have a chance to do well, that. Well, not, so not only that, but
1: you, you got GDF, you got your future quarterback in Brock Vandegrift. Like you've got a pretty dang, daggone good setup, and you're able to recruit like at a level you've never been able had the resources that he's ever had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased. I think this is the place he needs to be. I don't know why you would want to leave, but you can never say never. These guys, you know, they have relationships, they have contacts, they have different priorities. There are relationship dynamics at play there, although everything that I hear is that him and Kirby get along very well. But I do think, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tom Munkin's here for the long haul, but next year, yeah, I do think he'll be back next year for all the reason that we laid out. You have a really good, strong core of returning talent coming back next year. You have hopefully maybe your quarterback of the future coming in as well and Brock Vandegrift you have JT Daniels hopefully coming back for another year that where he's hopefully going to be healthy finally once and for all you're going to consistently be able to recruit as well as anyone in the country you have all the resources available to you so I think next year yeah Todd will be back and I think we're going to set ourselves up nicely to make a little bit of a run next year I really do believe that But all right, guys, that's all we have time for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I know we did not get to every question. We're going to try to work in the ones that we did not get to later on this week. I promise we'll do our best to to try to make that happen. But thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for sending in your questions. We always appreciate that. We love the interaction. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, Go Dawgs!